Your parents are divorced. You know somebody who has divorced parents. Okay, look around. Higher, higher, higher. Raise your hand. High, 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 high. High as you can. Okay, look around. Look around. There's a lot of hands up in this room. A lot of hands. You can go ahead and put them down. If you if you don't come from that background or you don't know anybody specifically that's in that background. It's a difficult, difficult thing to experience. And to those of you who have been through that, I think you can understand and relate to. It's a, it's a tough thing. And there, there have been books written on it, uh, psychological studies of children that have gone through that, and the implications and long-lasting impacts that this has on kids as they grow up. Once again, the compound effect. You break something here, what does it do out here? So my family, my parents divorced when I was about 13 years old. And um, you want to talk about the fallout of sin and brokenness and destruction. We're clear out here now. I mean, that was decades ago. And I've, I've got brothers, and I was sharing with some of you earlier, like I've, I've got brothers that struggle with alcoholism. I've got other brothers that have literally given up on life. Um, they've just cashed everything in and think there's no hope. And um, they want nothing to do with God, nothing to do with God, because of these things that have fallen out here, things that have broken here, that never got fixed, never got corrected. So when I was 13, uh, and this isn't, I don't talk about this a lot, my wife can attest to that, because um, it's a difficult thing to talk about. My parents divorced. I'm, I'm the fourth child of a family of nine. I have eight or seven brothers and a sister. There's nine kids in my family. When my parents divorced, I, uh, my mom moved out and took my five youngest siblings with her. And I can remember that. It's etched in my mind. <clears throat> and so my dad was in a, I mean, it was a difficult situation. It was a difficult time of life. And my dad uh, had to make ends meet. And he had, he had a lot of financial obligations. He, his life was falling apart. He's trying to keep his, his family in, as much as intact as possible. And so the only way my dad could, could make everything work was to take a job as a long-distance truck driver. Um, and, and, and so that's where he was. So in the process of doing that, my mom was gone. My younger siblings were gone. It was just me and my three older brothers. I was 13. Uh, my next oldest brother was 15, 16. My oldest brother was 17. And my aunt stayed with us for a couple weeks. She was kind of weird. It didn't work out. She had to leave. Um, and so it was just us. And I remember my dad pulled us aside. And I'm, just, I'm sorry. I, I'll try not to be emotional. It's, even after all these years, it's difficult to think about. But my dad pulled us aside. And he said, boys, uh, keep your head down. Don't get in trouble. I'll be back as soon as I can. And then he left. And uh, to 13 years old, like that was it. Um, this is survival mode. Uh, you go to school. You come home. Uh, nobody's there. 
Like, you got to take care of yourself. You got to figure out what needs done. Nobody's going to do your laundry. Nobody's going to tell you to do your homework. Nobody's going to cook dinner. You have a bad day. Nobody cares. Um, it's just the way that it is. Two of my brothers were kind of wild and they ran all the time. And my other brother, I think he was just depressed. He slept all the time. And so there were a lot of evenings that I would just come home and it was just me at 13. And, uh, it was a crazy, crazy time in my life. And I can remember specifically like, uh, just crying myself to sleep. It was just me. And uh, there was this guy, he's a, he's a weird guy. Um, he's a friend of my dad's. He, this is the kind of guy he is. He watched a movie that had a castle in it when he was a kid, so he built a castle. Like, he's just a weird guy, because uh, he always wanted one. You can look it up, it's online. Um, but this guy, this guy knew our situation. He knew what we were going through as a family. And he would, uh, he would come to our house and he'd pick us up. Or he'd call and see if we wanted to come to his house. And we would be like, well, sure. And so we would, we would uh, go to his house and uh, his wife would cook us dinner. And they had like six kids and he didn't make a lot of money. I mean, money was tight for him, but he, he opened his home up. And, and uh, we would get a hot meal. Um, like, I can remember, uh, you know, we would spend the night there and I'd sleep in his son's uh, bunk bed and his top bunk in the basement and it was next to the wood stove. And I, I, can, still, I can still smell it. And I can remember what it was like uh, being in that bed and being warm and, and just knowing there were people around. And I can remember uh, at night, I can remember sitting there listening as he did devotions with his kids and he read the Bible to them. And, uh, and then he, I can remember um, one Saturday we were... Just like bored to tears. He didn't even have a television, so there was like nothing to do. And we were sitting on it, it was a rainy day, and he had this box of gospel tracks in his living room. And I always, when Pastor Tom tells that story about the Holy Joe track, I always think of this guy. Because I can remember sitting in his living room reading tracks one afternoon because I was just bored. And I remember this one, and it posed a question, and it played in my mind for years. And the question was, you tied your shoes this morning before you left the house. How do you know the coroner won't untie them tonight? And when my friend was killed in a car accident, like that just stabbed my brain. And uh, it's all I could think about. So this guy, and then through a period of time, like... Like I heard him, he preached the gospel to us here and there where there were opportunities. He would just tell us about uh, the need to get saved. And I was 13. And 10 years would go by. And a lot of things would happen. I'd put a lot of miles between myself and those days. But I eventually I came to the point where I got saved. And my life changed. And you want to talk about a course correction? I got saved and moved a thousand miles away because I couldn't stay around the people I was around and I knew it. Huge course correction. God brought me here. So my question to you is, and to wrap all this together is, what are you in? What are you in? Sports? You in music? You in academics? You have a job? You got lost friends? Who's going through something like that that you have no idea that's taking place? And 
Can you be the kind of athlete on your team? Can you be the kind of instrument musician in your band, marching band? Can you be the kind of friend? Can you be the kind of guy in mathletes or whatever it is that you're into that attracts people to you, that your home becomes the center of, of community action? The team always comes to my house because my house is open. And if that's the case, you have no idea who you're going to bring in. And they may, for the first time in their lives, see a godly man with a, a godly testimony, loving a godly wife and a godly marriage. You have no idea who you're ministering to and what they're going through and what they're dealing with and what kind of seeds God's will plant in, God will plant in their lives that may take years to germinate. You have no idea what God can use you that way. And, and here's the crazy thing. You may bring teammates into your home because your reputation is so stellar that people want to be around you. Your, your home becomes the hangout. You may be inviting friends in. You may be struggling. Man, I can't get an open door with this guy. I can't talk to this guy. He just never... But you don't know. He may be sitting there in your living or in your kitchen and his, your mother may be the one that gets the open door with him. Your mother may be the one that gets the open door with this girl. You just don't know. That doesn't mean you don't try. It doesn't mean you don't knock and look for those open doors. But you minister that way. You use everything that you have. Flip over to, to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, playing basketball, playing soccer, playing lacrosse, playing the piano, working at McDonald's, working at Wendy's, uh, selling landscape, shrubs and trees, Hey, God can use it. God used a crazy weirdo that builds castles for fun to get me to the gospel, to get the gospel to me. He will use anything and anybody. Supposing they are seeking those things that are above, submitting their lives to God and letting God use them wherever they are. He will use everyone. He needs to because he built you the way that you are for a specific reason and specific purpose. He built that weird guy, the castle builder guy, because he needed that guy to reach me. Nobody else was going to. I wasn't on anybody else's course. They didn't have the opportunity to minister. They weren't there. I don't know where I'd be if he wasn't there. Maybe somebody else somewhere else down along the line would have, but I don't know. I don't know. Where are you on the course? What is your ministry? Where is your affection? Who are you reaching? Remember the picture we had? You can throw it. Can you throw that back up there, Stephen, real quick? Check this out. You know, we, we talked about this earlier before in, in, in terms of our walk. And are we doing the bare minimum? 
Are we doing the bare minimum of reading the Bible? Are we doing the bare minimum of sh showing up to church or, or filling in the blanks of discipleship or frequently just calling off discipleship and not coming at all? Are we doing the bare minimum to barely call ourselves a Christian, and are we proud of that? Or are we disgusted enough with the answers to those questions that we're fit to do something about it? There's another way to look at this picture. This, this child... If we look at it from a spiritual aspect, that's a real human being, by the way. What human being does he represent in your life from a spiritual aspect? Who do you have a friend, which friend of yours, that if you peeled the, the, the scales back and can see things in the spiritual realm, look like this? With Satan right there, just waiting, just waiting. And are you satisfied with just chasing away and doing the bare minimum, being a nice guy? Yeah, I'm not going to look at porn. I'm not going to drink alcohol. I'm not going to go do those things. But I'm also not going to open my home up and invite them in or, or preach the gospel to them or pray for their soul or pray for open doors or invite them to things like this where they can hear the gospel. I'm happy just to chase, I'm happy just to chase the vulture away. Who is this? Who is this in your life? Is there someone like this? The world is, there are over 7 billion people on the planet right now. How many of them are like this? And how many of them on your course with God are going to be ministry opportunities for you? Where are you at? And if we, if we look at, set your affection on things above where Christ is seated on the right hand of the Father, Listen, I'm not against sports. I, I'm, not. I'm not. I'm not in love with them, but I'm not against them either. I'm not against the band. I'm not against having a job. I'm not against these activities that make up our lives. They're good. They're healthy. They're things we should pursue. And we should do them to our fullest. But if you're doing these things for your glory, because I want to set the scoring record this year. I think I can do it. I can get a scholarship. Now I have all my education paid for. I want the girls to think I'm awesome. That doesn't change, by the way. Just now I have a wife that I hope thinks I'm awesome. <laughs> the things that drive us. Listen, if we're doing it for our glory, we're worshiping the gift. It is an idol in your life. God gave you the gift. God put you together. He built you specifically the way that you are for a reason. He has given you engiftments. You have them. They're important. Every single one of you. Don't be foolish and compare yourself among yourselves and say, I'm not like that guy or I'm not like that girl. There's some really good athletes in here. I've been watching. I don't want to play basketball against some of you guys. But you're not there for yourself. That's not why you're there. You know, there's a young lady that... Uh, that used to be a member of this youth group, and she graduated, and, and now she's moved on. But my wife and I think the world of her. And I know she, we were just talking about her earlier. She played basketball, and she was terrible. Terrible. But you know what? Her attitude was amazing. And, and her, her coach uh, actually gave her an award because of how hard she worked because of her positive attitude, because she spread that good attitude to her teammates, and she was well known for the right things. So whether therefore she ate or drank or whatsoever she did, she did everything as unto the Lord. And what do you know? 
It's an amazing thing. She would have opportunities to minister. Look at, um, flip over to Philippians 2.15. So let's start in uh, verse 14. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Now that's not us. Among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I may not, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. You know, Stephen was literally just talking about the little light of mine and not put it under a bushel basket. And yes, it probably would catch on fire. Your job is to do all things without murmuring and disputing, complaining, having a terrible attitude, that ye may be blameless, harmless. You're above reproach. Listen, I, you know, I, I don't know much, but I know one thing. That Warner kid will never have a bad attitude on the court. He'll never have a bad attitude on the field. A call may not go our way, but you won't hear him chew the ref out. You know, practice, practice is tough today, but you know what? So-and-so, they've always got a good attitude about it. You're blameless. You're harmless. You're above reproach. You have a testimony that shines. It makes a difference. The guys on your team should know. They can look at filthy, rotten stuff, but don't even bother asking you about it because it's not going to happen. And the wonderful thing about opening your home up and having people into your home that is a light and a safe place, that city set on a hill that's exemplary in every fashion as every Christian home should be, is that that stuff's not going to fly there. Nobody's going to run to the basement and start drinking alcohol. Nobody's going to run to the basement and, and watch pornography. Nobody's going to use language that they ought not to be using. And they're going to be convicted by your behavior, by your parents' behavior, by your siblings' behavior. You're not going to be perfect. But you should have this kind of conduct. We do live in a crooked and perverse nation. This, it's disgusting. It is filthy out there. I graduated 20 years ago. We didn't have these stupid cell phones running around. And I see them now. And it's, it's, no, it's no surprise to me they're called devices. That's exactly what they are. And you, have, you don't just have access to the world. The world has access to you. It's unlimited. And you do well to protect yourself against the things that the world has access. Especially you young men who are more vulnerable to these things than anybody. And it's way easy to get a hold of the stuff. Set walls up around your life. Protect yourself. Be blameless and harmless, above reproach. Have the testimony. Be known by these things. Use these things as an opportunity to minister to someone else. That's why it's there. How has God put you together? Who can you minister to? Who can you touch this way? Flip to Matthew chapter 8. talking about Christ here. When, when he was come down from the mountain and great multitudes followed him, and behold, there came a leper and worshipped him. You guys know what leprosy is, right? 
It's a nasty skin disease that would kill people and ran rampant at this time in history. And if you touch someone, it would, you didn't want to do that because you could get it too and there was no cure, so you would die. Behold, there came a leopard and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, can thou make me, canst thou make me clean? And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Guys, think about this for a second. Kevin Carter, the photographer that committed suicide because of his regret of what happened that day, he carried for the rest of his life. And his life was very short-lived, and it ate him up inside, and he couldn't handle it. He did the bare minimum. He had a choice right here. This was a decision point for him. He could have chased the bird away, gone and told his friends, smoked a cigarette, cried, and we know the rest of the story. Or he could have done that, turned around, and touched this child. He could have carried that child to where the food and the water were. He could have made a difference in this human being's life right there. Are you touching people in your life in terms of ministry? How? What does it look like? Who needs that? Who are you, who's the dirty guy that knows? What's the situation that's rough that you're able to do something about? Finally, I, I just want to touch on one last thing, and that's 1 Timothy 4.12. Let no man despise thy youth. Actually, let's just turn there real quick. Once again, this letter is written to, to Timothy from Paul. The same Paul who had a ministry of writing the Bible, of planting churches, of, of literally changing the course of eternity for mankind. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Once again, his conduct. It was the, the, the intrinsic value of who he was. It was everything about him. He says, Timothy, let no man despise thy youth. Don't let, don't let the fact that you're a young person get in the way. But be thou an example of the believers, the other Christians, the other people that are following Christ. Be an example in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. All of these facets, all of these areas of your life, be an example for somebody else, other Christians. And if you're an example for other Christians, I guarantee you, you're going to be an example for a lost world. Because you're going to look starkly different. So where are you ministering in the church? Yeah, the lost world definitely needs that ministry. They, they need you to, to, to preach the gospel, to be a light, to be an example, uh, to, to be an inviting presence, to, to, to touch people that are hurting and that, that need healing, that need help. But Paul also ministered to the church. He spent time with them. He taught them. He cried with them. He cried for them. He prayed for them. He wrote them letters. He encouraged them. He rebuked them. He did all of these things in the church. What's your ministry look like in here? Are there areas in this ministry, in this area, that you're chasing the vultures? 
just showing up, being a carbon-based life form, sitting in a chair, using up valuable oxygen? Or are you doing something with what you've been given? You've been given eternal life. If ye be then risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. You've been given an amazing gift. What are you doing with it? Are you provoking one another unto good works in here? Are you uh, let nothing be done in, in... Oh, my mind just went blank. Help me out. Thank you. Let nothing be done through strife and vainglory, but in loneliness of mind, let each esteem the other better than himself. I have my kids memorize that, and we, that's how we deal with arguing in our house. Is there strife? Is there vainglory? In loneliness of mind, are you esteeming one another better than yourselves? Are you provoking one another into good works? Are you encouraging one another? Are you seeking accountability amongst one, or amongst one another? Are you seeking accountability from your leaders? Hey, I'm struggling with this. I need help with this. You know, Bobby and I were just talking about uh, who he was discipled by in high school. And the, Bobby, what an amazing impact that man had on your life. Not only on the fact that he got saved, but on his marriage, and now on his child training, and his education, and every facet of life. A man in the church influenced that man's life, who's now influencing your life. My wife has an amazing testimony with the, the woman that discipled her when she was, what, 13 years old? That was a couple years ago. <laughs> Where did that go? It started then, and then it went into high school. My wife tragically lost her father unexpectedly. It was awful. That woman was there to minister to my wife in amazing ways that have just blessed my wife intensely. That was a long time ago. And then it moved into college, and then she met this amazing guy, and they got married. <laughs> And she was a part of that, and the guidance, and they had to sign off on me. That was a tall order, but it worked. And now they're some of our closest, dearest friends. Her husband is, I have very little in common with the man outside of Jesus Christ. <laughs> but I'm telling you right now, he's one of my dearest friends. I love him to death. He has helped me in ways you cannot imagine. He helped me as an early, in my, early in my marriage how to learn how to dwell with my wife according to knowledge, the questions to ask, the things to study about my wife so I could minister to her, how to study the Bible, how to apply the Bible practically to my life, how to make financial decisions, how to uh, train my children. There was a time that, uh, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't bringing my wife to Sunday school earlier in our marriage. It was a long drive. We lived down in New Philadelphia at the time. And I remember he gently but firmly withstood me to the face and challenged me on that. It made a difference. I didn't like to hear it, but you know what? He loved me, and that's why he said it. And I respected him for it, and I still respect him. And I use an example of how we should sometimes provoke one another by withstanding one another face-to-face, -face, in love. And that's exactly how he did it. So, who's ministering to you in the body? Who are you ministering to in the body? These are important things. That's why God gave us one another. You know, are there areas outside of this that, you, you know... Guys, can, is it possible you could greet? You could hold doors for people? You could help shovel sidewalks? Uh, um, what about cleaning the church? Nobody likes to clean the church. Ah, kids can't clean the church. You can't run a vacuum. That's ridiculous. <laughs> you, you boys, especially guys, but all of you, go home and clean the house, run the vacuum, and see what your mother does. See what your parents do. They will have heart failure if you went home and ministered in your home that way to your parents. You can say amen louder. It's okay. So, <laughs> there you go. Don't forget that when your husbands. 
So what about, can we do that in the church? What about, I mean, just, just practical things like that. Um, encourage one another. Pray for one another. So these are all things that we can do. So that's where I want to challenge you guys with there. And it's, I'll leave you with this. I, guys, my job is a job that... Um, one of the things that I have to do in my job is constantly look for potential. Look for good potential, look for bad potential. Potential problems, potential opportunities. And I do that with young stock and cattle. I look for potential in soil conditions. I look for potential in management opportunities within the dynamic of a dairy. I look for potential in market conditions. Constantly looking at things and looking at the details and how things are put together and, and helping other people make decisions based on where these opportunities lie. And I've just kind of sat back and I've watched you guys for the last 36 hours and I see amazing amounts of potential in all of you. Some of you, I don't really, I don't know at all. I, I think I've caught most of your names. Some of you, I'm not sure that I have, but I've watched how you interact with one another. I've watched your faces as I've, as, as I've talked and, and, and hopefully pierced your heart with the word of God, even just a little bit. God has given each of you amazing potential and he's put you together in a way that he saw fit. He designed you specifically I firmly believe that each and every one of you has not only an opportunity, but you have an obligation and a duty and an expectation to yield to the God that created you with the engiftments he created you with and seek him to fully yield those potentials. Seek him on how he can help you exercise the potential that you have, the potential to minister to one another, the potential to minister to a lost and broken world, the potential to course correct on a regular basis and, and he would endow you with the wisdom that you need to make those godly decisions. Don't be foolish and compare yourselves among yourselves. This is a very eclectic group, and that's a great thing. It means God has, has put together an array of human beings that can reach an array of lost people in, in a lost world, and an array of human beings that can minister to one another in very unique ways. You, you guys, I'm going to speak specifically to you men for just a second. This world is... There's been an assault on manhood for the last five-plus decades. And it is wildly obvious in society. You guys have a duty, a responsibility, an obligation to apply yourselves to the book, to this word, and apply this word to your lives and exercise the, the opportunity and the potential that God has given each and every one of you to become men of God. And as being men of God, you become leaders. You become leaders in your home. You become leaders in your community. You become leaders in this body. Seek God to exercise that potential and ask Him to help you become the man that He designed you to be. And that's, that's at times, that exercise is not joyous, but seemeth grievous. It's very difficult. But God created you for it. You cannot and will not do it aside from Him. Set yourself to be the kind of man that God built you to be. At some point, these ladies in this room... You're, you're going to want to get their attention. 
in ways more than just friendship. Be the kind of man that a godly woman will gladly submit to and lovingly follow and reverence all the days of her life as a joy because you are the kind of man that deserves, because of this book and because of God's Spirit inside of you, reverence and respect. Do what that takes. All of you, exercise the potential in who God has built you to be. Do what it takes. Become that person. You can't do it alone. You can't do it aside from God. God gave you His Word. He gave you a limitless supply of wisdom if you just ask Him. He has given you the body that you're a part of, and He has given you His Holy Spirit if you will just accept it. So that's my charge to you. You are capable of it. I know each and every one of you are capable of it. I see it, and I expect it. I expect it of all of you. Don't let me down. Father God, I love you. I thank you, God, that you have taught us about the course that uh, you have designed for us versus the course of the world. And there are ministry opportunities everywhere. God, if we would just stop chasing the stupid stuff of this world and the vain things that fill our lives, God, but we would rather turn these things over to you, use them for your glory, become the kind of people that are blameless and harmless in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, that we would shine as lights, that you would use us to, to reach lost people and hurting people and provoke one another unto good works, that we would be the kind of people you are pleased with. We would be a Philadelphian church in Laodicean age. God, that takes work daily. But I pray, God, that we would draw from you, that we faint not, that we not grow weary in doing these good works, that we would show our faith by our works. God, help us to become the, the men and the women that you've designed us and called us to be. God, I love you. I thank you for these kids. I, I thank you for the leaders. I thank you for who they are. I thank you for loving us. God, I'm not worthy of it. You love me anyway. You're such a good God. Help us to, to take these things and run with them in the future. I love you and I ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, guys.